Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. This is Alex Dunlap. Today, I bring you my conversation with Ben Albright. Ben is an NFL insider, a reporter, a radio host, and a Twitter personality. He's based out of Denver and works at Mile High Sports, which is a radio station that has uh, near-term plans to expand into television and video. You know Ben best from breaking NFL stories and getting into Twitter beefs with a laundry list of well-known personalities through the industry. In this episode, we talk about the polarizing nature of his Twitter brand, uh, his general social media strategy as a professional NFL newsbreaker, his thoughts on the future of the Broncos offense at the quarterback, uh, running back, and wide receiver positions, as well as his opinions on the new upstart leagues in the AAF and the XFL. Please make sure and give Ben a follow on Twitter at AllBrightNFL. That is A-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T-N-F-L. He's a great friend of Roster Watch. We ask that you mobilize, unite, give Ben a follow if you don't already. You can support the Roster Watch podcast and get access to multiple podcasts per week featuring me, Byron Lambert, and the Trash Man with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can at least support the podcast by just giving us a quick rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. Whenever you give those to us, it's like an angel gets its wings. We love it. So please uh, get a pro membership at Roster Watch. You get a bunch of extra podcasts every week that are just for our pro members. And if you can't stand to do that, you just want to support the pod just a little bit, a rating and a review it goes such a long way. Uh, it is entirely due to the support of listeners like you that all this is possible, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now on to my conversation with my boy, Ben Albright. This is Emmanuel Sanders, and you listen to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and as you heard in the open, we have a very special guest on the program today, a great friend uh, of, of the crew here at Roster Watch. His name is Ben Albright of Mile High Sports uh, up there in Denver. Ben, what the hell's going on, brother? Not too much, man. Good to hear your voice again. Yeah, dude. Well, I mean, we got to see the Senior Bowl, hoping to get to see you at the Combine, and always enjoy getting to kind of catch up with you and talk a little bit about um, a little bit about everything, man. We, we talk a little about everything. And one thing I think I know is I, I want to talk to you about these things. I want to talk about uh, a little bit about the Broncos, a little bit about the draft, and a little bit about the um, about the new football leagues coming out, the, the the Alliance and the XFL. But before we get to any of that, I just I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, so I don't mean to take you by surprise, but I think people would be interested to know just because you are such a. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you consider yourself a polarizing figure on social media? <laughs> um, well, I don't consider myself one, but apparently a lot of people consider me one. So I would, uh, I would guess that I probably am one. What would you call, like, how would you describe, how would you describe your social media strategy? 
Oh goodness! Uh, dynamite <laughs> in a fish tank. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good way to put it. It just seems like I. I've just. I've. I've never. I've never seen a guy. Just all. All you're doing is doing your job, right? You're just. You're. You're. You're reporting things. You're. You're talking about your ideas about these. Uh, about these players or these situations. Passing along what you've heard, and it just seems like, man, like just. Just watching from the sidelines. You get in more Twitter beefs for with or people get in Twitter beefs with you for honestly for things that I've seen, uh, you know, much much much. It, it's, it seems like it should take much more for these people in like random cities to be talking about you on their radio and still like this stuff with um, some guy in Philadelphia. I remember earlier this year. Like, what what is it that happens with all this stuff? Like, how do you find yourself in these situations? <laughs> Well, I don't mean to. Uh, that's the thing. It's just one of these things where I think, I think people don't maybe like their quote unquote territory encroached on, and and the way that I've done things is is different. I didn't come up through journalism. I didn't come up through any of that kind of stuff. I just kind of elbowed my way into the room and uh, and, and created a space for myself. And you know, I the way that I I get information is probably different from other people as well. You know, a lot of people get their information uh, from agents and. And, you know, and they kind of go that direction. And mine tends to come, I mean, I do talk to my fair share of agents, but uh, my information comes from a, from a balanced group, whether that's, you know, guys I know that work in front offices or, or players or, uh, or agents, you know, whomever, um, you know, my, my network is a little bit different. And so um, the way that I come across things and the way that I have things is, and then put things out threatens people, I guess, uh, because it's different. They, they don't understand how I do it. And so um, I, I think that that's part of the problem. I think that, you know, somebody coming at it from a different angle is something that bothers people. And I don't mind, you know, being that guy. Um, I just, you know, it just gets frustrating sometimes. Well, it's just like, they, 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 so you're saying you think it's the attitude these people are just like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what, like, what is he doing talking about this coaching search in like Cleveland? You know, what, like, what is this guy doing coming around when I've never, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I guess that has to be what it is because it's, it's just, it's just, it's amazing, man, the people that come after you and the interactions uh, that, that you can stir up on Twitter, especially for a dude, like whenever you meet you, you're so chill. You know, it's like you're very chill, dude. Like very, uh, very professional and stuff. It's not like you're. I, I like if I were to describe your personality to anybody, I'd say that's not like this dude's like a rabble rouser who's just always, you know, some hellraiser that's always out causing trouble. Like you're a laid back dude, pretty, pretty chill. And um, yeah, but like you said, man, it's the whole dynamite in a fish tank when you when you follow follow him on Twitter. Um, ben Albright for sure. All right, so. With, with with that out of the way, uh, let's just start out right there in your backyard with the Denver Broncos, and I want to just mainly talk about the quarterback situation and also about the running back situations. The running back situation, sort of as it pertains to a, a, a lot of our fantasy listeners and the people playing at dynasty leagues, wondering what the hell to do with Philip Lindsay if this is sustainable, etc. Et, et but first. About the just from a general football standpoint, how do you feel about the quarterback position there in Denver? Um, is is it? I mean, is it? Did Case Keenum fix anything? Where where is the state of that position right now? And uh, how much how much rope does does John Elway really have with you know going out and finding that guy? Is it does Case Keenum get another year or two? Is, are they going to be looking this year? How do you see that whole thing uh, playing out? And and then I guess as a follow up question to that, w- w- like where are you on John Elway and how important is it to him to finally get the quarterback situation right? 
Uh, let's start from the beginning there. I think Case Keenum has probably got another year in Denver. Uh, he's on, you know, he'll be coming on year two of a two-year deal, uh, and I think that, you know, at minimum he'll have that year. Um, whether he'll be the starter the entire year, I couldn't tell you, but the plan right now, uh, from what I understand, is that he'll start the season as the starter and, uh, you know, uh, either eventually seed way to a draft pick or uh, that draft pick will develop and take over the following year. Uh, I think most people know by now uh, we originally reported back in December that John Elway was very, uh, very smitten with Drew Locke. Of course, I think that's everywhere now, but um, that's kind of the direction they're looking. Um, it's not set in stone that Drew Locke will be the guy. Obviously, a lot of things could happen between now and then, but uh, they do like him, and that's kind of the the idea that they're playing with. And so, you know, Locke's the guy who's going to need uh, a little bit of time. Right? He's got some lower half mechanical issues, things like that. So, you know, I think what the the plan is is. Uh, roll with Case to start the season, develop Drew Locke, and then drop Locke will eventually be the natural successor, similar to what Kansas City did with Alex Smith and Pat Mahomes. So, but I mean, you're just talking about Drew Locke like that's already like that's already a that's already a thing. I mean, I, like it's just it just seems it seems like had had Elway just like they had just fallen in love with the guy based on his based on what they'd seen this season, or was it you know were they spin with him coming into the Senior Bowl? Like, what was the exact timing? Because you you guys did break that story before anybody else. But when did you initially break it? And when did you start, first first start hearing about the Broncos' interest in and the possibility of Drew Locke? Well, we've known they've liked Locke for a while. Um, as far as it being a legitimate, you know, going to happen kind of thing, um, you know, that, that really kind of sort of started coming about, um, uh, you know, in December, kind of crystallized in December. They Elway went out was really heavily looking at all the quarterbacks that were out there, and, uh, you know, Locke seemed to be his favorite so far. Again, that's, that's not a done deal. You know, anything can happen between now and the draft, but, you know, kind of like the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen this time last year. Right, we could right. kind of tell that was their guy, you know. Um, they're, you know, they were going to do due diligence, but that was their guy. Kind of the same thing here. Broncos, you know, are going to do due diligence, but they like Locke, and he's kind of their guy. Interesting. And, and so the Broncos, I believe, I should have this memorized by now. I, I certainly will soon, but I believe they pick at 10. Is it 10 yes. that they pick? Okay. So uh, do you think, uh, what, did you, what did you think of Locke at the Senior Bowl? Um, and did you think that he's a guy who is worth that sort of top 10 pick? It would seem like if he's your guy, you'd have to take him there at 10. But also, do you think that they, you know, if they really do like him, would they ever think about maybe trading up to make sure that, that they get him? I'm, I know that you don't know exactly what they're thinking or what they were doing, but I, I do know that, you know, there, there has been this talk about, you know, the possibility that certain teams might have to jump up in front of the Giants to get uh, maybe get Dwayne Haskins or things like that. If there were another team that you might have to jump up in front of to get a quarterback or maybe somebody tries to jump up in front of you, do you think there's any likelihood that they could actually move up for a quarterback? Well, I think it's very possible. Um, there's been some rumors floating around. The 49ers are obviously in the market for wide receivers. Um, they're, they're out there looking, and Antonio Brown is somebody that they've been pursuing. I don't know if that's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, um, and I uh, stress only if it doesn't happen because nobody's bringing these two to be, be in on the same team. Um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is another possibility, uh, you know, in, in a trade with the Broncos and, and, and potential move up for Denver. Uh, so you'd swap draft picks, give Emmanuel Sanders and another draft pick, and and you move from 10 to 2. Um, there's a good relationship there between the Niners and the Broncos, front offices, things like that. John oh, Lynch, yeah. obviously, John Elway have a you know, personal relationship, Kyle Shanahan. Shanny, uh, so there's, yeah. you know, there's, 
Yeah, there's there's longstanding ties there. Um, you know, if they needed to move up, Elway also has a relationship with Brian Heimerdinger of the Jets. His father was an offensive coordinator for him uh, before he passed, and John has been very involved in the uh, Heimerdinger charity. Um, you know, that meets every year in Nashville. So uh, there's, um, you know, there's some ties there at pick two and pick three. If the Broncos felt like they had to move up, I think the only competition that they have is from people behind them. I don't think anybody ahead of them is interested in Drew Locke, uh, and I think. That the Giants are kind of keyed in on Haskins. So uh, I don't think that there's any quarterbacks that are going to go uh, ahead of Locke other than Haskins. Uh, I know people have talked about Kyler Murray. I don't see that happening. Um, so I think that, you know, really, if you're Denver, you got to gauge who's going to jump where. If a team like Washington or Miami tries to get up ahead of you, uh, you know, can you get ahead of them? And, you know, and that kind of thing. So I, I think the road is fairly paved for Denver to wind up with the, with Drew Locke, barring some out of the blue scenario, somebody that's keep playing their cards close to their vest and, uh, and able to leap up there ahead of them without the Broncos knowing. And, and if that's, and if that's the case, the, that's got to be Elway's last straw, right? If that fails, he's well, just, he's just bad. He's bad at drafting quarterbacks. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. We've we said this, you know, we said this about head coaches. I'll say it about quarterbacks. This is going to be the last one John Elway gets. Uh, John Elway's not going to be around to hire another head coach. Either Vic Fangio works out, uh, and that's you know Elway, you know, moves out of the general managership and tries to get a part of ownership uh, after that, or uh, it fails, and you know, and Elway will be removed and they'll move on, and et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to get another head coach, and I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to draft another quarterback. I think this is it. So, uh, how many guys you know get to hire five head coaches and draft what five quarterbacks in their, you know, in their general manager's span? So, yeah. you know, Elway has been running on, um, you know, his credibility uh, as, a, as a player for a long time, and you know, it, in some positions that's worked. You know, Elway's been a pretty decent general manager in a lot of places. He's had some some glaring deficiencies. The Vance Joseph hire was was bad. Um, you know, and the quarterback evaluations have been poor uh, but other than that he's overall he's been been pretty productive and uh, and, and pretty good at identifying talent uh, specifically with the undrafted guys guys like chris harris or shaq barrett or philip Lindsay, um you know and bringing those guys in so you know I, I think overall people are probably a little too hard on elway because of the glaring quarterback thing but that glaring quarterback thing is pretty glaring well and, and he is a quarterback i mean he should be able to he should be well, able to pick but, him out but, but but i do agree with what you're saying like as far as the undrafted stuff as far as the, the actual team building and the and the personnel i mean even with the high picks he like he, he he was on he was on the right track last year i mean from everything we heard it was going to be it was either going to be chubb or it was going to be denzel ward and both those guys have been studs like i mean clearly he has an eye for team building but i think that the people just get frustrated about the most important position in football it happens to be one that he played at a high level there in Denver, and it's just it's it's been it 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 hasn't been what people would have hoped. Right, and I think part of that is because he played that position. I think John Elway looks for the things that helped him succeed and tries to identify those in in other players. and And the problem with that is is that those guys may not have had the work ethic that John had, or the overall in game talent, or processing speed, or mental acuity, or whatever. Uh, and I, I realize that that looks like I'm dumping on Paxton Lynch there, but it's not just him. It's you know it's Brock Osweiler too, or uh, Zach Dysart, or you know Chad Kelly, whomever. You know John Elway drafts guys that remind him of him 
in terms of being a player. And, you know, people who played at a high level and, and succeeded know what worked for them, and they try to identify that in other people. And oftentimes it's to their detriment. If you ever go out and look at the evaluations of running backs from guys like Marshall Falk and Emmett Smith, they, 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 they grade guys that remind them of them very highly, whether they work out or not. Some of them spectacularly bad evaluations. Uh, so and it's the same thing in Denver with the quarterbacks. Elway drafts guys that remind of him. Gary Kubiak drafted guys that remind of him. Um, and, you know, it, it really it doesn't work that way. You need to figure out what's going to win, not who's the next coming of you. Uh, well, yeah, very, very true. And that's a, that's an actually a really astute point because, you, like, John Elway always going after these, you know, big or taller statured guys, big arms, you know. So it's very, very, mm-hmm. very, very true. Um, all right. So, and before I, I want to ask you about the running back situation, Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, but you've said something about Kyler Murray. So I just want to go off on a little tangent there. Where are you on Kyler Murray? Because you act like you're not as high as a lot of folks are on him. I mean, we're starting to get some of the media types, at least saying like, look, this is a, a, a down quarterback class. But if we're going to be, you know, if we're, if we're going to be putting these guys together, um, as far as rankings, a lot of people are starting to talk about Kyler Murray just in a vacuum as QB1. How do you feel about that? I know, do you still do your ranking system for, for quarterbacks each year? You did that for a bunch of years. Do you still even do that? Yeah, I okay. do, and that'll be out um, after the combine, so I'll have all that stuff up for everybody after the combine. But um, Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm not as high on Kyler Murray, and I know, to me, when I talk to people, it seems like people who were low on Baker and missed on that one are trying to over compensate with Kyler Murray. Huh. Uh, maybe I, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of comes across that way in conversation, whether that's true or not. Right. Um, but I'll say this, everybody I talked to, uh, down there in mobile said the same thing. And it's the same things that they said about Johnny Manziel. Um, you know, he's probably going to go in the first round, but our team isn't going to take him, you know? And so that's kind of the thing. It's like, they, they all assume somebody else is going to take him, but it's not going to be them. And we all saw Johnny, you know, people were talking about him going number one overall. Of course he didn't go till what was it? 22, 23, 24, somewhere near the Browns. Right. Um, so, you know, and, 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 you know, yeah, he had character issues and all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's divergences there, but I've noticed a pattern with uh, players that teams say, well, we think he's going to go early, but we're not taking him. Those guys tend to fall. They tend to fall into day two. Um, and the problem with Tyler Murray is the baseball thing. It creates a weird scenario here where if he doesn't go in the first 20 picks, all of a sudden it's more financially lucrative for him to go to baseball, which makes it even harder for a general manager who's only going to get one shot at being a general manager, maybe only one quarterback to draft to push all his chips to the middle of the table on him. Because now you have to sell it not only on football. Now you've got to sell him on taking less money up front uh, because of slotted contracting. So once you get to pick 20, the drop looks even worse. So if he doesn't go to Miami, um, you know, I suspect that he'll wind up in baseball. That's so interesting because think about it, man. Like it, if he fell to like 20 or something like that, and any of these teams picking from 20 to 30 to ended up, ended up taking him and for some reason the the level of compensation fell under where he would be able to get from baseball he could he he holds all the chips he could just walk he could say i'm not playing for you and that and that draft pick then by that GM is completely wasted. And so, uh, knowing that this, uh, you know, these these GMs and stuff, I mean, they a lot of time, a lot of these decisions they make, they make, 
you know, they don't always make optimal decisions because sometimes need creeps in and certainly sometimes fear creeps in, like whether it's, whether it's founded or not, sometimes that fear creeps in, in the back of their minds and they're like, am I going to be left holding the bag here with the first round pick? And then when it gets to the second round, those are even more valuable because those, you know, those are players that are in your top 50, but now you're getting them with the slotted weight scale at a much better price. And you're just basically, you know, you're basically tearing up a golden ticket there because he's certainly not coming to you for a, for a, for second round compensation. And, and on and on and on as you get down to the third and fourth and by the time you're to the fourth round and you know if he's still around you say we might as well take a shot but there's no way in hell he's going to play with with that kind of so that creates a scenario where I think Kyler Murray's going to have to know where he's going and who's drafting it before that draft even starts he's going to I mean well, he's right. going to have that's, to know that's right exactly it exactly it and that's the thing like I said if Miami doesn't take him and they've shown the most interest of everyone so far if Miami does not take him um, you know there in that 13 you know range I think they're picking 13th um, I, I then then you've got a real problem because the teams that are behind them outside of Washington really you know have other needs and other places to go so you kind of come down to a two-team proposition and if they don't take him in those first 20 picks again yeah are you going to waste uh, potentially a first or second round pick on a guy that may never suit up for you because now you've got to convince him not only to play football, but play football for, for less money. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not a situation that any, I think any general managers wanted to do. Never mind the fact that he's five, nine, 185 pounds and, and Baker Mayfield, who was considered too small outweighs him by 30 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they, I don't, I've never seen anything like this in, in my life. I know I've heard, I've heard some of these older guys on Twitter talk about how I think it was a, was it a similar situation? Maybe with your boy Elway. It was some kind of similar situation uh, where he kind of held Bo a Jackson. bunch of the cards. Yeah, uh, Bo, 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 I guess Bo Jackson too uh, played in, played played multiple sports. But yeah, man, just since I've been covering this stuff, it's just a whole weird deal. It's just gonna be fascinating to see how it how it plays out. But as far as Kyler as a prospect, he's still. I mean, you're. I mean, can you at least say he's exciting to watch, <laughs> right? Right. Oh, he's, at, he's, at the college he's, level. he's exciting to watch. Absolutely. So was Manziel. So was Tebow. Sure. Those guys were exciting to watch. I'm not throwing those names out there to to create a narrative here or anything. I'm just saying that they were exciting players. Right. I, 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 the other part of this is, you know, I general manager me is not pushing all my chips to the center of the table for a guy that's you know the size of Cole Beasley to play quarterback. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. Um, so, you know, I it's like I I get it. He's just not my guy. And if he succeeds in the NFL, more power to him. I'm absolutely rooting for him. But um, for me, he would not be a guy I would be, uh, I would not, I would be drafting. I just would. One guy that I'm definitely rooting for much more than, than Kyler Murray, given his, uh, given the way that he's acted towards my, um, my good friend, the publisher at Orange Bloods, Jeff, Jeff Ketchum during his high school recruitment. Just, he was a, (laughs) I'm telling you, him and his dad are a different breed of cat, man. Like that's that's the other thing. That's the other part of this. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some, there's some stuff there with his dad being a hell helicopter parent and then uh you know on top of that his his dad actually was sued by the milwaukee brewers uh for breach of contract after he backed out of a contract to play baseball uh back in the day so um there's some there's some interesting synergy going on there and there's there's some other things behind the scenes i think the average fan may not know but um you know teams are not as enamored of kyler murray as the media and fans are Uh, well so i think one guy that 
the media and the fans are are enamored with, who was just the real feel good story out of Denver this year, was Philip Lindsay. I mean, Byron, whenever he was up there at training camp, I think you saw Byron at train. I think Byron said he saw you up yep. there. Um, Philip Lindsay was a guy who he kind of talked about from 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 training camp, um, but he wasn't necessarily being talked about as a dude who was going to be a you know just this massive contributor that he was. Maybe a guy that could make the team and sort of be. Um, maybe take over like D'Angelo Henderson's role or something like that. Like a guy looking like he was popping and flashing, but he just seemed a little bit too small, um, sub, sub 200 pounds. And then, you know, the season goes on and all of a sudden, you know, he's probably the, you know, the second or third runner up for offensive rookie of the year. Um, no, not second, but third, third or fourth, I would say, you know, Mayfield, uh, Saquon. And then you'd have to say either Chubb or Philip Lindsay, um, what what do you think coming into year two? Because there there is the there is the idea that Royce Freeman is there, and the idea that Royce Freeman comes with a higher draft pedigree. Uh, certainly, I mean, if you look at it, probably the more impressive college production profile and just overall you know overall athletic profile. Do you think there's any way that Philip Lindsay can keep it up as a volume back that's just a between-the-tackle slasher like he is, given the other options that they have there? Or should we begin to tap the brakes and maybe worry a little bit about Philip Lindsay? I mean, people are taking him in the third round of their fantasy drafts right now. Um, that's where you take a, you know, a back-end running back one or a high-end running back two in fantasy. Do you think he can keep it up, or do you think that Royce Freeman begins to bite into this thing? Well, no, I think that I think that, that he will continue to have the same level of productivity, but I think Royce will get more carries than he previously got because you're not going to see as many three and outs with this new offense. Uh, you know, Scandarello is basically, a, you know, a Kyle Shanahan built off. Um, I knew Rick back when he was at Millsaps College in Mississippi about 10 years ago. Um, you know, but he's, he's going to want to run three wide, a tight end, and a, and a, a halfback. They're not going to be lining up with a fullback anymore. Um, you know, I, I highly doubt they will anyway. Um, but you're not going to see the, the predictive offense of, of Bill Musgrave that you saw, where everybody knew they were running slant flat on first down, everybody knew they were running outside zone on second down, and then you just kind of had to guess on third down. And, uh, so you, you're not going to see as many three and outs, I don't think. I think you're going to see an offense more tailored to the quarterback skill set, um, and I think you're going to see more carries for both. Uh, I think you'll see Philip continue his workload. The only, the only knock on Royce is Royce doesn't have a third gear. Um, you know, Royce really has you know first yeah. gear, second gear, and that's that's yep. it. He just he doesn't have breakaway speed, uh, and you you know, if you're a team that's trying to salt away a lead, having a Royce Freeman is real nice. Um, you know, if you were to you use him in the first and fourth quarter, you know, you use him off tackle to, to kind of tire guys out, run the ball out and tire them out. Then you bring Phillip in the second, third quarter to, to just outrun them, you know, boat race them. And then in the fourth quarter, salt it away, you bring Freeman back in. So, you know, I think if you're drafting, if you, if you got kind of a dynasty fantasy thing going on, third round is pretty good for Phillip. Um, you know, Royce, you, you could stash him. You could probably get in later rounds and stash him. And, and there's going to be certain games where, especially in blowouts, they're going to give the ball to him a lot. But Phillip's got the, you know, the receiving ability. He's going to be the third down guy. Uh, he'll platoon a little bit with Booker, although, uh, you know, he'll be gone sooner than later. So, um, you know, I think that, I think in the end, Phillip's a safe get. And, you know, he's really built like Warwick Dunn. You know, when all said and done, people say that, uh, you know, Phillip's too small or whatever. Well, he's, he's, you know, he's built thicker than Warwick Dunn was. So, uh, you know, I think he and Warwick had a, a plenty productive career. So I think Phillip can too. Okay. Well, they, yeah, that, that, that's, that's interesting. I just, you don't get the idea of being around that, being around that building and that organization that there's any sort of, um, I don't know, just any sort of feeling like, Hey, we need to get Royce going. You know, we need to get Royce going at some point. You don't, you don't, you don't get that. I mean, by now, I guess they've just fallen in love with Philip Lindsay. 
Well, I, I think they do. I just don't think it's a priority. I think the priority is to uh, get the quarterback situation stabilized, get an offense that isn't very predictable. And, you know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to spell Philip Lindsay or, or generate a lead, you know, and, and, and salt it away with, with Royce. I just don't think they're going to create opportunities for Royce. I just think more opportunities are going to present themselves with a better offensive plan going forward. I cannot believe that that is where we are. The year of our Lord 2019 and, and, and Royce <laughs> Freeman is being talked about as the dude that just spells Philip Lindsay. I mean, if I could round this to, you know, summer of last year would have just burn my eyebrows off um and, 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 all right it's so one other one, one other quick thing it looks like all of emmanuel sanders is dead like all basically all of his guaranteed money was just loaded up into the first three years of that contract in 2019 only two 2.5 million a dead cap with a with a 12 million dollar hit i mean he's he's coming off he's coming off of a major injury what are the chances that he's even back with them next year well, that's the thing, especially if the Niners don't get Antonio Brown, you know, he would be a, he would be their next target uh, to bring in as a, a receiver opposite Marquise Goodwin. So, um, you know, I think that's very much in play. Uh, I think the tra- a trade of Emmanuel Sanders is very much in play. I can tell you he's finally out of his walking boot as of last week. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that's going to be ready to go at the start of the season. Uh, he's come back from injury before. I, I like Emmanuel Sanders on, on the field. Uh, you know, he's a very productive player. He's quarterback's sure. best friend. He's got great yeah. hands. Uh, off the field, you know, in the locker room, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a different guy. Um, you know, he's been caught a couple of times, maybe being dishonest with the, the front office and his teammates. And that kind of rubs people the wrong way. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. I think the, I think he's kind of grown from some of that, but, um, you know, he's just, uh, he's just a little bit of a different guy. And so, uh, you know, wide receivers are a bit, a bit of a different breed. We've seen it with Antonio Brown too. It's, it's always the Steelers, that, you know, <laughs> yeah, that turns these guys into something else. But, um, you know, I think, I, I think Emmanuel, uh, there's a very good chance he could be gone. And it's, I just, I think the 49ers, is, I think I, it's an intriguing landing spot to me because it just like Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, uh, you know, if the ad, you add in an Emmanuel Sanders, you still have a Trent Taylor. All these guys are a little, I mean, it seems like they're kind of redundant with the kind of receivers that they are. I mean, looking at Antonio Brown, they're all clearly different levels of, you know, talent, but it's like, it didn't like one of those guys is like the big X wide receiver and one's the traditional flanker than like your slot. Like both, all of those guys seem to be like interchangeable that can play at, at all the different positions. And maybe that's just how well, football's going. Of- right. Yeah, that's kind of the point with the Shanahan offense. You got to be able to do multiple things. They were kind of predictable a little bit at times without Garcon this year because you knew you knew Goodwin was the flanker. Uh, you knew he was the burner. Uh, you knew that um, the Trent Taylor was going to be the possession guy underneath. Uh, you know those kinds of things. So Pettis kind of has that versatility. But yeah, Emmanuel gives you that as well. As far as the uh, switching gears here from the NFL, I'd like to talk to you because you had some news that was. Actually, and I don't even know if this is, news is going to be true about the Bob Stoops XFL stuff, but at least you were, at least now every, everybody's reporting it's, it and you were on it. You know, he announced it this morning. Oh, okay. Well, so what is, what is, I've been, I've been, um, taking care of a, of a little human, like crap making machine. What, like, what was, the, can, can you inform me and the listeners kind of what, what, what happened and, uh, and sort of what you know about that situation with the XFL Dallas club? <laughs> 
Sure. Uh, the XFL Dallas club was announced. They'll be playing in Arlington. Um, and, uh, that'll be, uh, starting February of 2020. Uh, and their general manager slash head coach is Bob Stoops. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, you know, interesting. Um, Bob's had some, some NFL offers here or there. Uh, he kind of wants to stick around the, you know, the Dallas slash Norman area in that region. Uh, you know, he's got kids in school and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's, he doesn't want to go far from there, but this opportunity presented itself and, you know, he's really looking forward to it. Gives him his, gives him a foray into uh, into pro football, and at the same time, uh, you know, allows him to stay close to to family and and friends and and Norman and all that. And so he can uh, uh, he continue to kind of do everything there. But I, I think that's going to be an interesting hire. And you know, the XFL, I think they're uh, you know, I think they're getting off on the right foot, at least on the coaching hires. You don't see any Steve Spurriers on their list. Yeah, and and yeah, ex- exactly, and 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 we'll, and we'll talk about the uh, AAF here in a second. But I think with the um. I think with the with, with the XFL, I mean, we're you know one of our guys who kind of came. I, I consider all of us all kind of brothers, man. That kind of came up in this industry at the same time, you know, going to these events, trying to work our you know work our way up through whatever non traditional means. You know, we all came up through and always seen each other and getting to know each other at, the, at these things. And one of those guys is Eric Galco, who's now the director of personnel for the XFL. I mean, I'm personally really excited about what's 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 going to be happening with the league. I wish him the best and certainly hope for more sort of big news, big splashy news to come out like this because it seemed like it was all over all the news outlets. Credit to you guys for getting, I mean, getting it out there. I mean, I mean, whenever people were just like, "What the hell is this dude even talking about?" Bob Stoops coaching in the XFL, <laughs> and then last night from you know Pro Football Talk comes out with the you know article and everybody, Ian Rappaport and and everybody else. How do you see it playing out? You know, do you, I mean, I think with the XFL, with the things that I've just kind of been hearing hearing around the water cooler, and um, nothing official yet, but certainly. Uh, it looks like from what's going to be a TV carriage standpoint, things are going to be strong to quite strong. Um, it seems like they're going to have the ability to get these really good players. And then most importantly, they're going to be able to take a player by player approach to some of these guys who the NFL not, might not be able to touch because they've only been in college for maybe a year and then two years at Juco and some bouncing around, some weird stuff happened. They just need to kind of get to get to professional football and make some money. And maybe, you know, the XFL could be like a way station on their way to the national football league would be their hope. That's something that the AAF is not going to be able to do because the AAF, it seems like they're trying to position themselves to maybe be like a feeder league for the NFL. Is that how you see it? And how do you see this stuff playing out? Is it, is, is it going to be popular? Well, I think more football is always a good thing. Um, you know, marketing has been an issue. If you remember the UFL, it, it fizzled out and died after a couple of years. The thing about the AAF, which is basically you're, you hit the nail on the head, trying to position itself as a feeder league, um, is is their their money supply is significantly lower than the XFLs. Um, you know, the AAF, you're, you basically, if you're starting up a football league, a pro football league, you know, you need to have eight to ten teams at minimum, uh, and they've got eight, and you need to have enough money to be able to operate in the red for probably about three years. Uh, and I'm not sure the AAF has that uh, based on you know my my analysis of their finances. Um, so that that's something that's a bit concerning. I think it sounds like they're hoping to build a feeder league that maybe gets snapped up by the NFL uh, as a like an NBA, or excuse me, NFL developmental league, and you know that kind of thing. Um, 
it sounds like that. I don't know. Uh, I think we'll have to wait and see how that works out. They've got some some deals with uh, CBS, TNT, and Bleacher Report to you know stream and show their games, and we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. But uh, in fact, this weekend they're kicking off two games of CBS on Sunday, and then a game on CBS Sports Network. Um, well, I mean, excuse me, Saturday night, and then Sunday they have two games as well. So um, you know, we'll kind of see how the AAF looks after this weekend. Uh, as far as the XFL, they've got a full, another full year, so they can kind of take notes on ways that the AAF didn't work out and remedy that for themselves before their launch, their rollout in 2020. 